Well, good morning. My name is Eric Miller, and I think the reason that Pastor Mike asked me to uh, start this Can I Get a Witness series is because I am the most like the evangelism linebacker. So um, as, a, as a Chicago Bears and Brian Erlacher fan, uh, I, I'm ready to lay the boom on you, as Darren said. So uh, this morning, we're going to start out this Can I Get a Witness series, and honestly, it's not that, okay? So don't worry. Uh, We want to teach us through Scripture a little bit more clearly what it is of being a witness and how we can be a witness. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be there. If you need a Bible, you can get one from uh, Mark and the ushers this morning. Just raise your hand up in the air, and we'll be happy to get you one. Uh, But this morning, we are looking at this topic, this idea of can I get a witness. And so the, the main idea this morning, the thing that I want to impress on us the most is that we are called to be witnesses who testify for Jesus. Okay, let me say that one more time. We are called, every one of us, we are called to be a witness who testifies for Jesus. Now, in order to do that, I think we have to understand what a witness actually is, what that means. Uh, And there's two concepts, as I looked up even the definition of the word, there's the verb sense of being a witness, where you hear or you see or you know by personal experience, you are witnessing an event, an occurrence. Uh, you kind of just are non-participatory, but you, you observe something that happens, okay? It is my dream and my goal to someday witness the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, okay? That's a good example of, of something that would witness. It would have nothing to do with me, okay, uh, but it would be because I would witness it. I would observe it. Now, there's also the noun sense of the word witness, where you're active, you're involved, you are the key witness in a jury trial where you go and you testify, you speak out to what you have seen and what you have observed. And that is the latter part of that, the noun part, is what I'm encouraging us to do, to testify, to witness, to testify of who Jesus is for the cause of Christ, to speak out. Oftentimes when we talk about evangelism, we think, well, I'm just going to be a good person and I'm going to live a good life and I'm not going to do what the things of the world does, and yet that is only part of it, okay? And this morning we want to talk about how uh, a man named Matthew got this idea of having a party as he had an encounter with Jesus. He met Jesus on the road. We're going to look at this here uh, in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Now, I want to point out before we get into this that this story of Matthew or Levi, this tax collector, his encounter with Jesus is also recorded in Matthew chapter 9 and in Mark chapter 2. And the cool thing about the Gospels, oftentimes uh, the different writers, Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, they'll give different perspectives on things. If you notice, you read like the, a parable, you know, maybe one person, Mark, leaves something out that John makes a point of. And this is so cool because this story in those three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are almost identical in how they're recorded. And so I love the fact that we can see the similarities of those. Uh, So if you're curious in reading those other ones, it's Matthew 9, 9 through 13, and Mark 2, 13 through 17. But this morning, we're going to look at Luke 5, 27 through 32. Let's just go ahead and read this together. Follow along with me. It says this in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector 
by the name of Levi or Matthew. It's kind of one of those things where he has a Hebrew name and a new Greek name, kind of like Jesus renamed Simon Peter, and he said, on this rock, I will build my church. He gave him that new name. Matthew is Levi's new name, okay? So your Bible may say one or the other. So Jesus saw this tax collector, Levi, sitting at his tax booth, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Now, I think there are some key things that we can take from this as we look at the example that not only Jesus gives us of how to evangelize, how to share our faith, how to be a witness, how to testify, but Matthew as well. First of all, it's important for us to understand that tax collectors were not really like the cream of the crop in society, okay? The tax collectors in the New Testament times, they were like the deadbeats. They were the lowlifes. They were the guys that everyone tried to avoid. Because here's what they would do. The tax collectors in that time, Matthew is one of them. They see this. He set up his booth along the side of the road. They worked for the Roman government. And as merchants would come through, they would say for the government, hey, we're collecting a tax. And they would take an assessment of all of the goods and the the merchandise that these dealers would have. And he would tax them according to what the Roman government was asking for. Now, oftentimes, the tax rates were so vague that these tax collectors, the seedy characters that they are, would jack the prices up to pocket the difference, okay? And so they were like people that everyone wanted to avoid. They were liars, they were cheaters, they were thieves, and people tried to avoid them. That's important for us to understand. Matthew, then, once he has this encounter with Christ, Jesus comes, it says he was just walking along the road and he saw a tax collector, And I love that in all three of these stories, in Matthew and Mark and here in Luke, all Jesus says to him is, follow me. It's not recorded in in Matthew that, you know, in the book that Matthew wrote, it's not recorded that he says, oh, well, Jesus and I had this awesome conversation and he convinced me, gave me the four spiritual laws, he had me do a, a spiritual survey, he explained to me Romans Road, he did the bridge illustration, and then I got it. No, he just said, follow me. And in Luke 5, it says that at that, Matthew got up and left everything he had, and he followed him. That's amazing that that's all that happened. And then Matthew goes, and out of his wealth, out of his (laughs) abundance, however he acquired it, he throws this great banquet. He throws this party, and he invites all of his friends, his tax collector friends, all of these sinful people, and then Jesus and the disciples to come have a dinner at his house. Now, here's the idea. What does this mean for us? Okay, I think that there are some key things here that we can look at and we can identify with Matthew. Okay, if we're called to be a witness who testifies for Jesus, then there's three things I think that it's important for us to understand and look at. First one is Matthew was called. Matthew was called to be a follower of Christ. Jesus simply said, follow me. We are called as well. We have been called to follow Christ. It's very simple. 
maybe the first time that you met Jesus, you were on the road as well. Maybe you were driving. Maybe you were going to see your accountant. I don't know. Maybe you came to a church service similar to this one. Maybe you went to a friend's house and had a meal with them. And that's where you met Christ. And they presented the gospel. You heard maybe for the first time that God loves you that God loves you so much, even though you're sinful, he sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die in your place as a sacrifice for your sins. Maybe this morning is the first time that you're hearing that. But I'm telling you, there is a call on your life, and Jesus is asking you to go all in and to follow him. First one, Matthew was called, follow me, Jesus said. We've been called as well. Second thing, Matthew left everything and followed him have you have you left everything see Matthew didn't like say okay Jesus I'll follow you but hang on let me bring my booth with me you know I might see another merchant along the way that I've got to collect taxes on no he said forget the Roman government I'm going to follow Christ he saw the worth he weighed the reward he weighed the risk And he said, the reward of following Christ, knowing him, is far greater than being a tax collector or anything that goes with it. See, I believe there's this hole in Matthew's heart where he knew his life was empty. He knew his life felt meaningless. He knew that there was something missing. And he meets this person, Jesus, whom I'm sure he had heard about. See, this time Jesus was already teaching and preaching and healing and doing miracles. In fact, right before this, Jesus has forgiven a man of his sins and healed him. He's healed a paralyzed man. And I'm sure word is starting to travel across this region of Jesus' work and his ministry, his life, his character, who he is. So he weighed the cost, and Matthew left everything to follow him. Have we I'm going to touch on that a little bit more in a second. But the third thing that Matthew did is he threw a party. So he was called, he left everything and followed, and then he throws a party. And I believe that there are two reasons that Matthew throws this party. The first reason is to introduce his friends to Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if we could invite our friends to come over, for our ho- come over to our house to have a dinner for the sole purpose of introducing them to Jesus. And it would be so easy, right, if we could just say, hey, uh, Jesus is the guest of honor. He's actually in the, in the other room, and, you know, once we sit down and we pray, he's going to appear at the head of the table, and we're going to eat and talk with him and ask him questions. And, you know, like Doubting Thomas, we can see the nails in his hands and all that. That would, be, that would make sharing our faith really easy, right? Here's Jesus. Done. It doesn't work that way today, right? We think so. And I'm going to challenge us, I think it still can. And here's why. Actually, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so Jesus, Matthew was wanting to introduce his friends to Jesus. That's the first point. Second point is that Matthew is wanting to identify himself with Jesus. He's saying, you know, I no longer want to be a tax collector. I don't want to be known as that guy, that low life, that thief, that liar, that cheater, I want to be identified as a follower of Christ. And so he separates himself from his old life, and he throws this party, and he invites all of Jesus' disciples to come as well. So much so that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they get upset. Now, I almost think that they didn't get upset because of 
Matthew and, and Jesus and all the disciples having you know, interaction with these sinful people, I think it was because they're having a fun time. They're having a party, and the Pharisees were mad that they weren't invited. Okay, that's my take on this. I don't know if that's right or not. But Matthew says, look, I want to introduce my friends to Jesus, and I want to identify with him. That was what it was about. He'd weighed the cost. He was authentic. He could have just taken it, said, you know what? Thanks, Jesus, but no thanks. And he could have been an admirer from afar. I think sometimes in our culture, that's where we land. That's where some people in our culture land, where they say, man, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about the things that he did. I've heard about his miracles, and I love going to church. I love being a part of that. I love reading the Bible, but I don't really want to be a follower because that means I'm going to have to leave some things. That means I'm going to have to surrender some things in my life. That means there's going to be some things that I'm not going to be allowed to do that are fun, that are sinful, but they're fun, that I really enjoy doing. So if I'm a follower, then I have to give those things up. And I don't want to do that. See, again, Matthew didn't do that. He didn't live with a foot in both worlds. He left everything and surrendered to follow Christ. We should too. I believe that there are many lost people in our world today who have such little respect for weak Christians. These people who say, I'm a follower of Christ, I identify myself with him, but they're unwilling to introduce Jesus to anyone else. Or they're unwilling to identify themselves by being obedient to the commands that Christ has given us. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. See, we know that, but do we live that way? I honestly believe that one of the biggest reasons that our teenagers in our culture today, our high school students, our middle school students, when they get to college, they're falling away from the church. Statistics are clear on this fact. And I seriously think in having all the years of working with our teens and watching this happen with some of our students and and having it not happen with a lot of them is our students are so good at seeing through the facade. They're so good at, at identifying people who are genuine, people who are authentic, who are all in for Christ. And it bothers them when they see it not happening. When they see people who go to church, who carry their Bibles around, who, who claim to be Christians and followers of Christ, and yet the way that they live looks totally and completely different. They're unwilling to be obedient to the commands of Christ. They're unwilling to forgive. They're unwilling to share their faith. They're unwilling to pray without ceasing. They're unwilling to do these things. So church, are we willing to be authentic in order to be a witness who testifies for the cause of Christ? Are we willing? We have to wrestle with these things. I think people who claim to be followers of Christ but refuse to obey his commands hinder the growth of the kingdom of God. I believe that deep down there are lost people who are looking for somebody, anybody, to speak the truth and live it out boldly. It's got to be both. And that is what God is calling us to be, a witness who testifies for the glory of God. Jesus gave the Great Commission Right right before he left, he told his disciples, he kind of gathered them all together, and in Matthew 28, if you want to turn there and look at it, Jesus tells them this. He, he says, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and he says, therefore, go. He commissions them, go and make disciples. I love this part because oftentimes when 
See, for a long time when I looked at that, I, I read that passage of scripture, I thought that it meant that I had to drop everything and be a missionary. I thought that that meant that I had to, you know, if I was going to get a job in the secular world, that I had to quit that job and go and be a missionary or a pastor, go into full-time ministry. Now, I'm telling us that's not what this is saying. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. It's in the present tense. It's the active tense. It's literally as you go, while you are going. Here's the cool thing. Jesus modeled that. In Luke 5, what we just looked at, the words are literally, then Jesus went and he saw. In Matthew and in Mark, it's worded the exact same way. And it happens all the time. Look at any story of Jesus' life in the Gospels, and it's literally, as he went, then he saw. And here's the next thing. Then he felt compassion for the people that he saw. Is that us? Do we do that? Jesus is giving his disciples this, these commands. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Then he says, we know this one as well, he says, baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the cool thing. A baptism is an awesome way to throw a Matthew party. Honestly. We have one coming up September 8th. We have a Changed Life Sunday. That is an awesome way to throw a Matthew party. You know why? Because you get to identify with Jesus by being baptized, by saying, look, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm all in. And you get to introduce your friends and your family, your neighbors, your coworkers to the person of Christ by inviting them to come and witness and partake of that event. That is an awesome gift that you can give to people. So if you have not yet been baptized, look, this is a command that Jesus gives us. We should take his commands seriously. When I read God's word, one of my favorite things to do is underline in my Bible the commands that Paul gives us, the commands that Christ gives us, the commands that James gives us, the commands that I see because those are the things that I need to do. And if I'm not reading God's word and finding the commands, then I'm not going to be able to live the life that God has called me to live. His word is important. The next thing that Jesus says, and so, sometimes I think we forget this part. When we think about the Great Commission, we think, go and make disciples. And then, you know, those of us who memorize these verses in, in Vacation Bible School, we kind of remember, oh yeah, and baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we forget this last part. Teach them. Teach them what? To obey. To obey the things that are easy, right? To obey the things that they want to obey. Is that what Jesus says? No, teach them to obey what everything that I have commanded you. Now, this gets hard. If I'm going to take this seriously and go and make disciples I'm, as I'm going, it doesn't matter where I go, whether it's to work, whether I commute to D.C., whether I'm on vacation, where, wherever I go, as I go, I'm looking to make disciples. I'm looking to be a witness who can testify for the cause of Christ. As I go, I'm making disciples. I'm encouraging people to get baptized, to identify with Jesus, to introduce people to Jesus. But then I have to teach them to obey? That means I have to do that first. I have to obey everything that he's commanded. That's where it gets hard. Now, I love the promise that Jesus gives us. Look at this very carefully. He says, and. It's almost like, oh yeah, and. I am. I'm surely with you.
Technical difficulties. There we go. All right. Jesus said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I love that because honestly what that means is that when we invite our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors to come over and have dinner with Jesus, he is there. Remember in John 16 as Jesus was leaving and his disciples are kind of wrestling with this idea and they're like, Jesus, you're leaving us. Where are you going? Like what's going to happen? And Jesus says, it is for your good that I leave. And he says, unless I leave the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come. And the Holy Spirit who, 1 Corinthians says, our, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. Jesus promises us he will be with us. Church, I'm telling you that when you step out and you share your faith and your tongue swells up and you forget the person's name that you're talking to and you have no idea what to say, Jesus is with you and the Holy Spirit of God will speak through you. Every time I do that, I lose my focus and I forget what I'm saying. I'll, I'll go home and I'll tell my wife, you know, what happened and I'll say, I can't remember what I said. But I know God used it because the Holy Spirit was the one speaking. It wasn't me. It was him. He's with us. Doesn't that make sharing your faith so much easier? Wow, that's a relief. God speaks through us. And you know what? Then it means I don't have to know all the answers because he does. It's not me trying to win someone to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin and drawing them towards relationship with God. It's nothing that I'm doing. I'm just his mouthpiece. I'm just his instrument. And Matthew got that. And he invited his friends to meet the person of Christ. And he identified with himself. He left everything. He obeyed the call. He was authentic in his witness. He testified. I love this. Turn to Acts. Acts chapter 1. This is really cool. Jesus, right before he leaves the earth... One more time, he kind of gathers his disciples together, and they're asking him this question. Jesus, you know, is, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel to the earth? You know, is this the time when you're finally just going to rule and reign on the earth? Is, is now the time? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know, Acts 1-7, uh, the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But here he gives them this explanation. He says, but you will receive power. I picture Jesus here being like the football coach right before the big game and he's trying to get like the troops all riled up to the point where, you know, at the end of his speech they just like start cheering and they run out the tunnel onto the field to like conquer the enemy. I, I picture Jesus doing that here. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and he says, you will be, here's that word again, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria and he adds to the ends of the earth. And then look at the very next verse. After he said this, he was taken up before their own eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Can you imagine standing there talking to somebody, and then like that, they're gone? And here's what the disciples do. It says, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, here's how my imaginative mind, okay? I'm a youth pastor for a reason. Here's why, what I think happened, okay? I honestly think Jesus is trying to get his disciples all riled up Hey, I'm sending you. Go. As you go, make disciples. You will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Go. 
take over. You will conquer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. You will conquer Frederick, Maryland, the United States, and to the ends of the earth, God is going to use you. Go. And then he like leaves, and he goes up into heaven, and the disciples, you know, Jesus is expecting the disciples to be like, yeah, and like take off out to Judea and Samaria, right? And what do they do? They're dumbfounded. And I just picture Jesus when he gets to heaven looking at the angels and being like, what are they doing? They're just sitting there. Matthew's drooling. Hey, get back down there and tell them to go make disciples. And so he sends these two angels back down there, and the angels are like, hey, dummies, go. Jesus is coming back soon. You don't have a whole lot of time. Church, isn't that what we do? Sunday after Sunday, we come to this place and we listen to our pastors, to our preaching team talk about the challenges, the things that we're called to do, the commands that God's word gives us. And we leave and as soon as, there's something magical about it, as soon as we walk out these doors, we forget. We're like dummies. We just, we forget it. We don't live it out. Wouldn't it be awesome if like our pastors could just send out the elders to like show up at your work on Monday morning and be like, hey, uh, how's, how are you doing with that? Remember what we talked about yesterday? See, when we live in community with each other, we're able to start doing those things. Now, honestly, I want to take the rest of our time to give us some practical ways of how we can do this. Because let's be honest, it is not easy. It is very hard, but how do we do this? What does this mean for us? How can we be a witness who testifies for the cause of Christ? First of all, this is very important. We have to pray. Now, Scripture gives us a command. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. I believe that that means that every day, Every hour, every minute, I need to be praying and asking God to help me see people the way that he sees them. Because here's what we do, church. We begin to look at other people, and even though we would never want to admit this on a Sunday morning, we begin to judge people. We begin to look at how they're different from us. And we begin to see, oh, man, I can't believe they do that. We're like the Pharisees. We're very much like the Pharisees. And we begin to pull the people around us who are very close to us. They're identical with us. We have a lot of things in common. And then we don't open up our lives to people that are different than us. Is that what we do? We don't see people the way that God sees them. So we need to pray and ask God to give us compassion. We need to pray and God ask God to give us boldness. Now, both of those things have to go hand in hand because boldness without compassion is like the evangelism linebacker, right? You're going to hit people, you're going to hit them hard, and they're not going to know what hit them. And if you're not compassionate and have asked God to break your heart and give you a compassion for the lost, then, then it's going to be ineffective. And the opposite is true, compassion without boldness. Maybe you really love people, but you're not bold enough to share with them the gospel using words. It's ineffective. So we need to pray and ask God for compassion. Ask him to break our hearts for the lost. He will. Believe me, the more that you pray that prayer, I'm not talking about just this one time here in church this morning. I'm saying pray continually. That's a command that scripture gives us. 
Pray without ceasing. Ask God to break your heart for the lost. Second thing, use God talk. Man, that is such an easy thing to do in your daily conversations with people to just bring up things of the Lord. Here's some examples. Maybe some of you read your Bible before you go to work during the day. And when you're standing with someone at, at the water cooler as you're at lunch, you know, just say, hey, man, I, I read this cool thing this morning. I said that I'm, I'm supposed to pray continually. Or I learned when I was at church the other day uh, that we're supposed to share our faith with people. I, I don't know what it is, but use God talk. Mention God's name. Mention Jesus' name. Mention the church that you go to. Bring those things up in conversation. Here's a way that, that this just happened in my life recently. Um, I like to strike up conversations with people when I'm out. Now, I'm very extroverted, and so I'll go to the grocery store, and I'll see the cashier's name on their name tag, and I'll say, hey, Bob, how's it going? And I'll read their name tag. And usually they're like, how'd you know my name? It's right there. That's an easy thing to do. When you go to a restaurant and the waiter, waitress comes by, they tell you their name. For crying out loud, remember it. Write it down if you need to. And then use their name in conversation. But here's an easy thing to do. Drop the fact that you were just at church. Drop the fact that you're going to pray before you eat. Bring those things up in conversation. Recently, I was at Main Cup here in Middletown, and I, I've been using that as my office away from my office, and, and I've been trying to get to know one of the girls that works there who I see frequently when I'm there. I'm like, she's here. There's not a lot of customers. I might as well talk to her about God. And yet, I'll be very honest, I've been chicken. And every time, I'm like, ah, just keep working. And I don't talk to her. And so the other day, Bethany, my wife, was with me at, it's fun to say that. I just throw that in there. My wife. We were, we were at, at Main Cup, and uh, I, she, this girl, she came over to our table, and she said to Bethany, you know, patience is a virtue. And I, I was like, wow, you're preaching to the pastor here. I'm not very patient sometimes. And she was like, oh, my word, you're a pastor? And I, I took that to mean, like, that's a good thing rather than, like, oh, you're a pastor? <laughs> but it was, it was, like, so cool because then the next morning I went in, and she was like, I saw her again, and she said, hey, where are you a pastor at? I said, oh, I'm a pastor at the liquor store church on, by Trout. I've just given up trying to explain it any other way. And she was like, oh, no way. I know where that is. I went to Mom's Day Out there. And then she proceeded to tell me, I know a bunch of people who go to your church. And some of you who frequent Main, main Cup, you're maybe sweating right now. Like. But she said, there are some people in your youth group who I know. And you know what? She said in high school, every week somebody would ask me how they could pray for me. And you know what? As the youth pastor of our youth ministry, I had goosebumps knowing that our kids are doing this. So then that gave me an opportunity to say, well, how can I pray for you? And she <laughs> paused and she didn't really know what to say. She said, there's a lot of things you could pray for me about. And so she spent the rest of the morning while I'm there working, every time she would come by, she would say, I'm still thinking of something you could pray for me about. It was awesome to see. She never did give me anything, but as I left, I got to say, hey, I'm going to be praying for you this week. And if you think of anything, I hope that you'll let me know. Guys, those are easy things to do. Use God talk. Third thing that you can do, ask questions. How can I pray for you? Before you eat your lunch and the waitress comes by, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? 
Maybe you can ask some questions as you get into some conversations about our society and our culture and all the things that are messed up with our world and say, hey, why do you think God would allow those things to happen? And you may not have the answer. And they may turn around on you and ask, well, what do you think? And you may say, I don't really know. You know what? That's okay. We're not called to have all the answers, but we're called to give a defense. We're called to point people to Jesus and say, you know what? I want to continue this conversation. I'm going to go back to my church and talk to the people in my small group, and we'll see what they say. Why don't you join us for that conversation? Ask questions. Do you go to church anywhere? Ask questions. This is something that Bethany has been doing very well with her job. And as she comes home, she tells me about some of her coworkers and the things that she's able to do, the conversations that she has been able to have. They know that she recently married a pastor. They know that before we got married that we didn't live together. And so they kind of think that's weird. And so they've been asking her a lot of questions about that. And she has had an awesome opportunity not just to answer their questions, but to turn them around and say, well, what do you think? What do you think about that? What do you think about what the Bible has to say? What do you think about the, the moral codes of our culture right now? And it's created these awesome conversations. And I seriously think that one of Bethany's coworkers is seeking and she's looking for Christians who will live the truth boldly who are unashamed of the gospel, who are authentic in what they believe. They're not judgmental. They're not thinking of themselves better than everyone. That's pharisaical. They're authentic. They're witnesses for, for the cause of Christ. They're witnesses who testify. You know what, church? I think that if we do these things, we pray, we ask God to break our hearts, we use God talk, we ask questions to keep conversations going. If we do this, here's what I think will happen. We're going to see people in a way that we've never seen them before. God is going to break our hearts for the lost people that we work with, the lost people who live in our neighborhoods, the lost people that we meet at Starbucks. Wherever we go, God's going to break our hearts. I think that you will find a renewed spiritual joy because you will begin to be filled with a passion and a compassion that you've never had before for people. I think that we are going to gain a confidence to be a witness. The more you do this, honestly, the easier it gets. Or maybe the less you care about what other people think. We'll put it that way. You'll be able to introduce people to Jesus who desperately need a Savior, people who are lost and possibly apart from you doing so will spend eternity apart from God. See, there's a risk and a reward, but the reward is far greater. The reward of spending eternity in heaven and bringing our friends with us is far better than the risk of getting (laughs) made fun of or having people think of us a certain way. And when we put it in those perspectives, it should change the way we think about things. Here's what I want to do. I want to challenge us this week. You have your Matthew list and your bulletin. Pastor Mike already pointed it out. Write down one person. As you're thinking, as you're listening to all of this, hopefully we've all thought of one person, a coworker, a family member, a neighbor, somebody that we come in contact with. And if you don't have anybody, then you're not off the hook. You know, the next restaurant that you go to, talk to the, the waiter, the waitress. 
the next grocery store you go to, talk to the cashier. Start praying for them. Frequent that restaurant. Keep going back to that coffee shop. Begin to build a relationship with them. Pray for them. Ask them how you can pray for them. The one person that you're going to write down this week, church, I want every one of us to ask, how can I pray for you? Tell them, I've been praying for you. I wrote your name down at Sunday at church, and I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? I want you to give me at least one specific way that I can pray for you and see what conversations take place from there. I think you will be impressed at what happens. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. So don't be afraid to share a prayer request to give to them. Say, hey, if you think about it, here's something that I'm wrestling with. And then maybe they share even more with you. I want us to do this, okay, honestly. And then we're going to post on Facebook about it and give you an opportunity to share your response. What happened when you did this? And there's great strength and encouragement when you share, man, I stepped out, I talked to the waiter, I talked to him, and, and, and I asked how I could pray for him, and he gave me something really cool to pray about, and I'm going to go back next Sunday, and I'm going to find out how he did with that. Share that on Facebook. I would love this week for our church to be posting those things on our Facebook page in a public place where other people can see it, where we can see it, and be encouraged. Can we do that? Here's the last thing I want to do this morning. I don't want us to be like the disciples where we leave and we forget what we are called to do, but I want us to go on mission. As Jesus sent us on a mission, as he sent his disciples on a mission, I I want to just invite the pastors, the elders, the elders who have yet to be commissioned, which we're going to do soon, come on up here, and I want to commission us. Like oftentimes when we send people out to Haiti, the Haiti team, we commissioned. We had them come up. We laid hands on them. We prayed for them. And the rest of us, church, we put our hands out, right? We faced our hands towards the stage to pray for the people going to Haiti. Well, guess what? We're going out. We're getting ready to leave here, and we're going out to the mission field. Your workplace, your neighborhood, the restaurant that you're going to when you leave here. We're going out. So we want to commission you. So we're going to pray for you. We're going to put our hands out, stretch towards you, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that you would be effective witness and testify for the cause of Christ this morning. Join me in prayer. God, I pray for this church. Lord, use us. Use us to be a witness, not a spectator, not a bystander, but a witness who testifies for the cause of Christ, who points people to you, God, allow us to be passionate about you. Give us compassion for the lost. Break our hearts for the people who are lost, who will spend eternity apart from you in a very real place called hell. God, may we be your mouthpiece. May your Holy Spirit fill us and use us, work in and through us to share our faith with people, to just bring you up in conversation. Lord, may we not be ashamed. May we be bold. May we take a step of faith. God, I pray for each and every person that, that was, their name was written down this morning, whose name is yet to be written down. God, would we speak your truth to them? Would we be an example to them? Father, use us. Use us as your church. Help us not just to invite them to come here to church to hear the pastor preach the gospel, but would we speak it to them as well? 
would we use coming to church on a Sunday morning as a mutual experience where then we can go and have another conversation about spiritual things. Father, use this church in Frederick County, in Maryland, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth for your honor and glory. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Go be on mission this week.